Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Sesha Hindi, a weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. Good evening. It's 7.01. This is John Boyer. This is the April 19th edition of Eye on the Triangle. Coming up tonight, we're experimenting with a little bit of a different format. Come along for the ride, and I hope you enjoy it. We'll have an editorial on Earth Day, and we'll let's start with some of the top news headlines. It's 64 degrees here in Raleigh. An emerging scandal at neighboring Duke University is gathering national attention after the chairman of college Republicans was ousted, possibly because he is gay. Justin Robinetta Jr. was impeached on Wednesday by the College Republicans Board of Supervisors. There's a lot left to be said by both sides in the issue as the story develops. You can read more about it on the Daily Tar Heels website, dailytarheel.com. The main suspect in the 2008 Eve Carson murder is pleading guilty on federal charges, including firearms violations, carjacking, and kidnappings resulting in death. As part of the plea deal, DeMario James Atwater will spend life in prison instead of facing a possible death sentence, according to WRAL. Atwater still faces state charges in Orange County Superior Court next week, and the fate of his accomplice Lawrence Alvin Lovett Jr. is also to be determined. The parents of the slain UNC student body president released a statement that supports the federal prosecutor's decision to accept the plea deal. The new Raleigh blog says that construction on Raleigh's downtown amphitheater will be complete by the first week of June and that eight acts have already been booked. The venue across from the convention center will bring Paramore in July and OAR and Sound Tribe Sector 9 in August. Some cool things happened on this day in history. In 1770, Captain James Cook discovered Australia. Swiss chemist Dr. Albert Hoffman deliberately takes LSD for the first time on this day in 1943. I couldn't believe it was that old either. Uh, the Simpsons premiered on this day in 1987 as a short cartoon on the Tracy Ullman show. And two darker anniversaries that we'll touch on just a little bit later in tonight's program. In 1993, the siege of the Branch Davidian compound outside of Waco, Texas, ended in a fire where 81 people died. And in 1995, as a retribution for that, there was the Oklahoma City bombing in Oklahoma City. Uh, 168 died. Of course, Timothy McVeigh, the perpetrator there. And on this day five years ago, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, who's been in the news lately was elected Pope Benedict XVI after the papal conclave and the death of John Paul II. Also some birthdays today, quite a few actually. Some people I hope you've heard of. Maria Sharapova, tennis player. Troy Palomalu, Pittsburgh Steelers. Go Steelers. Uh, some actors and actresses. Kate Hudson is turning uh, 31. And James Franco, 32. Jesse James, obviously in the news after um, Sandra Bullock. Well, he's turning uh, 41. And Elliot Ness, uh, if you ever saw the... I forget which movie it was, but it was a movie based on. Okay, I forget. And we're going to switch over to Weather Now, brought to us by Shana Seitz from the NCSU Broadcast Meteorology Hey, this is Shana with your forecast for Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. On Tuesday, expect partly sunny skies and pleasant temperatures with a high in the lower 70s. Tuesday night, rain will develop with lows in the lower 50s. Expect showers throughout the day on Wednesday with temperatures in the upper 60s. Wednesday night, there will be a slight chance of showers before midnight with a low in the upper 40s. Sunshine returns Thursday with a high in the upper 70s. Skies will be partly cloudy Thursday night with a low in the lower 50s. Enjoy your... Viewpoint on Eye on the Triangle. Evan's opinions on the latest news. The views in this editorial do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. Good evening, I'm Will Lampy, filling in for Evan Garris. This Thursday marks the 40th anniversary of Earth Day. How much has changed since its inception in 1970? I doubt you'd find any well-informed individual that would be confident in saying that America's current environmental policy is adequate. These problems aren't new. Modern environmental conservation in America reaches back to the 20th century, early 20th century, and has had a strong presence in one form or another since the 70s. So what is stopping America from taking a proactive stance on global environmental issues such as global warming and our dependency on fossil fuels? The answer is greed. Now, I'm not talking about gas companies. I'm talking about us. Yes, I'm guilty of it, and I'm sure that the vast majority of Americans are too. It's not just about what kind of car you drive or if you have LED light bulbs installed. It's the size of our houses, the distance it takes to drive to the grocery store, or even how much meat you consume. That goes unnoticed when one thinks about our impact on the environment. Now, I'm not advocating that you should quit eating beef or live in a tent. Rather, understanding that our lifestyle is one that requires a large amount of resources and is in fact a privileged lifestyle when compared to the rest of the world. 
And of course, that is something to be happy about, to be able to choose my favorite kind of soft drink or cereal, to have the freedom of owning a car. But you can't be fooled into thinking that all this stuff doesn't come without a price, both to you and the common ground of Earth. I had the good fortune of being able to attend the COP15 conference on climate change last December in Copenhagen. And while many would say it did very little in terms of developing a concrete solution, I personally gained a lot from the trip. It's easy to forget when we talk about climate change, we are talking about individual human beings from around the globe, all of whom are personally affected, for good or bad, by the state of the earth. Being able to see 100,000 people walking together for climate change is a stark reminder of what's at stake in this issue. This Earth Day, get out and learn, participate, as well as celebrate what we have. But never forget that our lifestyle is at odds with real environmental change. We must be able to give up some of those privileges for the benefit of others. If you would like to reply to this editorial, please Twitter us at KNC uh, EOT or email us at publicaffairs at WKNC.org. Or Facebook our fan page. Yeah, we have a fan page. You know, I hate to call you out. Uh, it's WKNC EOT. Oh, Just I'm sorry. don't want to forget that one letter. Um, we're going to be using Twitter tonight. Coming up after the break, we're going to have sports with Tyler Everett. And then we move into our news discussion. It's a new feature, and we want your comments on Twitter, so that's why it's important. You know we're at WKNC EOT. Hope to have you after the break. Listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC eighty eight point one. Listen to Eye on the Triangle, WKNC eighty eight point one. I'm Jacob, and uh, it's time for Eye on the Triangle Sports uh, with Tyler Everett. Good evening, Tyler. How are you? I'm doing all right. Just want to tell you guys a little bit about what I saw out of the first action we've seen of the Wolfpack football team this spring in Saturday's KL 2010 spring football game. Uh, opened up with a lot of excitement. Both offenses moved the ball up and down the field real well. Uh, Long awaited debut for Mike Glennon with the first string. Wasn't in a game atmosphere, but was the first we've seen of him throwing to the ones and throwing to the top string receivers in the, in the, and standing behind the first string offensive line. He came out real hot. He actually missed his first pass, but then his second pass was kind of an impromptu shuffle pass to James Washington, who turned that into a big gainer. And then he completed eight more in a row. So he started off nine for 10, real hot, got the uh, first, got the first scoring points of the game on a six-yard lob to George Bryan, the junior tight end, and uh, Glennon ended up finishing 21 of 38 for 423 yards and three touchdowns. That sounds great. He also threw two picks, both of those on kind of uh, jump balls where this he put it up, kind of 50-50 balls, corners made good plays on them, so not bad passes, but... Um, Fans will, if they're looking for a negative, they will point to the two interceptions. But, but 423 yards on 21 completions and starting off nine to ten like that, he really came out red hot and made a number of throws. One of them, one of the best throws I thought he made ended up being a drop. Really threaded the needle to George Bryant over the middle. The window he had to fit that ball in was very small, and he made it happen. Bryant actually dropped that ball, so that won't show up. But that was just one of several throws that had uh, had me excited about what he can do whether or not Russell Wilson comes back. O'Brien has said Wilson will be back, but he was not. And then on the other side of the coin, Daniel Imhoff actually got the victory, led the red team, which was the second-team offense and the first-team defense to the victory. Imhoff is a senior walk-on from Sanford, North Carolina. He played at least senior. He went 11 of 24 for 221 yards and three touchdowns. He also threw one pick, but a huge day for him. He, like Glennon, he started off hot early. His final numbers weren't overwhelming, but really – had a great first half. Um, don't have offhand what he did in the first half, but he played real well, particularly in the first half. Mm. And um, and so that was that was the story of the quarterbacks. Very nice. And uh, with the spring game, uh, how was the defense looking? The defense, um, obviously, with the offense starting off so great early, the defense was not was not great the whole time. But they responded. Uh, Terrell Manning led the red led the yeah led the red team with seven tackles and a sack um, for the white team. Asante Kiraton and A.J. Ferguson, a linebacker and a, and a defensive end, they both had seven tackles apiece as well. Um, the secondaries combined to pick off four passes, or excuse me, they picked off three passes total. They also made seven sacks, so they made their share of plays. And in a game that was so high scoring early, for the final score to be 31-21, showed their adjustments, showed the way they picked it up. Uh, George Bryan was quoted after the game saying they really started playing hard. Uh, it was... 
four touchdowns in the first quarter alone total between the two offenses. Two offenses combined for only three more over the final three quarters. So obviously the defense settled down and tightened up a little bit. And the three interceptions was extremely encouraging considering the struggles the secondary endured at points last season with some of those young guys coming back a little more experienced. They took the ball away a couple times Saturday. Were there any other unexpected absences? Uh, not unexpected, but I mean, any any time you talk about Wolfpack football, you got to talk Russell Wilson. He was not there. For anyone that doesn't know, he's focusing on baseball this spring, so his absence was what allowed Glennon to step up and have that kind of big day. And in the backfield, Curtis Underwood was out. He's one kind of penciled in as the starter going into the fall, but he hasn't played this spring. And in his absence, Travis Leggett is a redshirt freshman walk-on. He had 21 carries for 129 yards, so he had a huge day. He really showed off his speed and agility on a 43-yarder in the first half to let fans know that he means business, and he's going to do everything he can to make it interesting. Um, the other running backs had some good runs here and there. Their stats were not not impressive, but um, those those guys played well, and then the receivers you would expect also played well. Owen Spencer had four catches for 165 yards and two touchdowns. Daryl Davis, four catches for 97 yards. And then Jarvis Williams, the other kind of a leading suspect, if you will, for the Wolfpack receivers, four catches, 60 yards. So the guys you would expect played well. George Bryan, obviously with the first touchdown, finished with uh, 55 yards on four catches and one touchdown. And his backup, Asa Asa Watson, was another guy along with Leggett, um, a name a lot of people might not have known before this, but he had a big day. He had two catches for 101 yards and a touchdown. One of them was from... uh, was from Imhoff. It was an 86-yard touchdown for for a tight end to, to pick up an 86-yarder like that. That's not something you see. So he showed off the wheels on that. And then an interesting play that got the off that got the red offense on the board. The red offense was with Imhoff quarterbacking. He threw a lateral screen pass to T.J. Graham, who stepped back, and then Graham became the quarterback on that play. He actually hit Jay Smith down the sideline for a 49-yard touchdown, and that was part of the early fireworks I mentioned earlier. Offensively, a lot of a lot of early scoring. Right, just to change gears a bit, um, how'd the boys on the uh, baseball diamond do against Maryland? They had a good weekend. They they swept Maryland. Maryland's not the cream of the crop in the ACC by any means, but anytime you sweep a team, you're supposed to. That's what you that's what you look to do. Won four two on Friday in the series opener, seven two on Saturday in the uh, second game of the series, and then Sunday just exploded with a twenty two to six victory over the Terps Sunday. That moves the Pack's record to 25 and 13 overall and they're 9 and 9 in the ACC. 9 and 9 is not going to blow a lot of people away, but the ACC is what a lot of people will say hands down the best conference in the country in baseball. So for the Pack to be 500 in that, and 25 and 13 pretty hot lately. Took 2 or 3 from top ranked Virginia, lost uh, one of only won one of 3 against UNC, another ranked team, but then to sweep Maryland, they they've been they've been playing well lately. So certainly encouraging for the uh, those of you following the, the action on the diamond this spring. Very nice. Uh, so what's up next? Baseball's actually coming up on a big home stretch for them. They've got, they will, well, excuse me, not not immediately. They'll, they'll travel to Greenville Wednesday for a game at ECU. That's a big rivalry in baseball, as in other sports, particularly in baseball. The Pack and Pirates have quite a good rivalry going on there. And then the baseball team will return home for three games against Georgia Tech, three home games against Georgia Tech. No, excuse me. They will host Boston College in a three-game series. Then they will have Elon at home. And then Georgia Tech will come in the following weekend, and that home series will be followed by a home series against Towson. So uh, I believe it's ten home baseball games in a row coming up for the baseball team, so you'll have plenty of chances to catch them in action. All right, anything else on sports? I think that's all I've got to talk about for tonight. Thank you guys for listening. Welcome back to WKNC. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle. We had a brief little music break there. We're starting out with a new segment right now. We're going to have a little bit of a panel discussion, talk about some issues of the day. But don't worry. We want your opinions as well. I'm monitoring TweetDeck. And so if you have anything to say, send it to WKNCEOT, seven letters all in a row on Twitter or public affairs at WKNC.org if you're an email type of a person. Fortunately, we aren't uh, taking calls tonight, but Twitter is the way to get in touch with us. And I'm going to have everybody go around kind of briefly and introduce who they are so you can tell our voices apart. Let's start with Allison. Hi, I'm Allison Harmon. I'm Will Lampy. And I'm Russell Witham. And uh, two of you are involved with Technician. Three of you, or two of you are involved with WKNC. Well, we're all student media people. 
uh, two I could pull together. Uh, of course, Sejah Hindi is off tonight, and Evan Garris is also off tonight as well. So we're dealing with their absence a little bit. We miss them, but we'll have them back next week for you, I'm sure. Let's start with some things in the news. Um, didn't want to touch it in the national stories because we have a good story from Allison. The volcano in Iceland, if I have it before me, I can pronounce it. Eyjafjalla. I'm going to do this. <laughs> this is going to go down in this <laughs> Eyjafjalla Jokul, volcano in southern Iceland, uh, erupted last Thursday, created this ash cloud that went all over Europe, and it's dangerous. Planes are grounded. They can't fly through it. If they do, could shut down the engines. And so people are stuck all around Europe and all around the world. So, uh, Yeah, um, my friend, my roommate, um, Abby, a student at NC State, is actually stuck in Munich. She's been there since last Thursday. Uh, she was coming back to Ireland from Turkey, uh, and had a layover in Munich, and her friends were on the f- plane before her. They left, so she's there all alone um, by herself, and she's there until this Thursday. She's, so she's going to be there a week. Um, she's actually having some trouble. She ran out of money, and uh, I told her to go find some um, German hot dogs and drink some beer, but she could not do that. <laughs> um, so she's kind of worried about it, but I think I think she's okay now. Um, but I can't imagine that. I know I ran out of money when I was studying abroad, but it was always in the city I was in. I can't imagine being in Germany without money, <laughs> stuck there until Thursday. But hopefully she'll meet some nice uh, German friends in Lederhosen. Now, does she speak German? I'm sure that would help. No. <laughs> I've heard enough Germans speak English. And in fact, William, you also studied abroad. Yeah, I studied in Sweden last fall. So you can certainly imagine... How important air travel is in Europe. Yeah, yeah. I actually have a friend. His father's Norwegian, and he's been trying to get home, and it's been difficult for him. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do. I've heard as recently as uh, tonight that they've canceled up to 63,000 flights. That's cumulative so far? Yes, cumulative so far. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, that's a lot of people that are stuck in a certain area, and I imagine it must be very difficult for them. So. Yeah, I've actually seen some very interesting things. Uh, the BBC is a great source for uh, reading about this. Uh, they want to use the Royal Navy at this point to get Britons from Spain and France back to the UK. The real, the real good one about yeah. that, John, was uh, they were comparing it. This is an article I just saw. Um, They're comparing it to Dunkirk yeah. of the ships, and just like these, these really just like ferries. They're not used to go across the Channel, and just literally taking people from. France to England across the channel just to get people across because the air travel is just shut down. 63,000 flights. That's a lot of people who are stranded. Yeah, they have ferries. They have trains that go underneath the English Channel. But, you know, obviously the capacity just isn't there to take everyone. So they need – in fact, uh, Dunkirk, I think that's almost exactly 70 years ago as of this month or next month. Sure is, yeah. So uh, dark time for Europe. And, of course, uh, not necessarily an end in sight. Earlier today they were hoping, okay, we can get more flights uh, getting back up in the air as this ash cloud disperses, and a neighboring volcano named Hecla has started erupting as well. And that's one of the things that uh, volcanologists had feared is that this would set off other activity. Now, I have a beef with Hecla. Um, I had a question about Hecla in the finals of the 2003 Virginia Geography Bee, and I got it wrong, and so that, that cost me my shot at the top. <laughs> <laughs> so I've never forgotten that Hecla was a volcano in Iceland, and here it is in the news seven years later. Well, I doubt there's very little they can do to make it easier for flights. I mean, it's it's going to be up in the air for how long it wants to be, and they really can't do anything about it. Well, I mean, part of the part of the interest there is that the the airlines are actually saying that it's safe. I mean, the because part of that p- big plume of just really just a bunch of queep, um, some of it, a lot of it's the silica dust, like you were saying. It's very glass like, and the concern is that when that heats up when it goes through those engines, that it will actually make the engine shut down. And when they've actually had some cases like that in the past, the planes have actually crashed because they've gone through volcanic clouds. So the concern is there that that could happen. Now, what a lot of the airlines are arguing is the concentrations aren't there for that on this one. This, uh, sorry, Um, this BBC article does say that on Monday... Uh, an F-16 fighter jet suffered engine damage, um, but it doesn't say exactly to what it st- extent, so maybe it landed safely. Well, we'd hope so. Certainly <laughs> hope it didn't crash, and we <laughs> certainly hope any uh, planes don't crash in the future. Uh, another thing that uh, got in the way of what was going on in Europe, of course, a lot of things politically and in the entertainment world and in the music world are disrupted 
because you know none of these flights can go back and forth. One of them was the president for uh, the funeral for the Polish president who died in an air accident uh, Saturday the tenth, Lech Kaczynski, and President Obama was going to go, Prince Charles was going to go. They had to cancel. So uh, I believe that funeral was either today or will be tomorrow, and the Polish people don't have that global presence there with them. So if it gets better. Yeah, I, I, obviously uh, a sad case there with that one crash. Fog was to blame there. That had nothing to do with the volcanic ash. That was a full week before that started happening. Other things going on in the news today. Washington, D.C. There's some yes. interesting things happen there. Anybody want to fill us in, fill our yeah. listeners in? And by the way, if you want to join the conversation, WKNC EOT on Twitter. Uh, well, today is the anniversary of the Lexington and Concord shot. Um, starting the American Revolutionary War, right? Yeah, I didn't Is mention that, that earlier in the, on this day. Oh, okay. But I know okay. where we're going with this. Okay, okay. Well, it kind of brings up the point that uh, that is the reason they are having a Second Amendment rally today in Washington. And it's interesting that you read these articles and people are uh, initiating this response, well, we need to fight back, that we need to make sure our rights are not taken, that we can keep our guns in our arms. And it's really not about that because there's no legislation currently in effect that's trying to change that. Though, it, of course, it is on uh, people's agendas. There's nothing official yet. It is solely because this is the annual anniversary and that they do this every year, I believe. I, I don't think it hurts these groups' causes, though, that it also happens to be the same anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing. And in a lot of people's <laughs> yeah. minds, you would yes, associate yes. a militia and Second Amendment rights. Uh, th- those were also in vogue in the 90s with um, homegrown terrorism. I mean, where's the line? Well, that's the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, At what point does, you know, your your concern about the government become open sedition? Well, I, maybe I'm still talking about my editorial. I usually don't do the editorial. but uh, I thought that was yeah, about Earth Day. Well, <laughs> it's not about the, the, what it's about. It's about me saying what I think. Uh, ah. You know, maybe we should run the disclaimer again. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, it's okay. I'll just I'll just tell everybody. Yeah, the views expressed here in this conversation do not represent those of WKNC Student Media, North Carolina State University, Beth Purdue, or anybody else. But in this discussion, there's obviously two different ways to look at it, and I like to think uh, uh, most of my views tend to be toward the more liberal side. But this is one issue that I can understand why people are concerned. And for me, I, I like to go hunting, uh, and I enjoy it. And I think that you know I would like to keep that right for me and possibly my kids uh, however they're also are this issues. is the first i've heard of any children william oh really are you holding really? out uh well currently i don't have any that you ah, know i see of, okay but um, let's keep it that way anyway uh i think what p- gets me upset is when people talk about other types of guns besides those used for hunting and i think that's what people try to aim at in these rallies they're not talking about hunting or uh, anything else they want to be able to carry guns Wherever they want to, having a, there's different types of concealing. There's uh, open carry. You can conceal carry, which you have to get a permit for, I believe. I think you have to get a permit for both. But that's what they're talking about, and that's what I have an issue with. Well, also following uh, very near to today's anniversary was the anniversary of the Columbine massacre and the April 16th shootings at Virginia Tech. So uh, it's unfortunate that you know guns have to come to the forefront of the news at this time of the year. Um, I mean, it, it has to come up yeah. sometime. Yeah. Uh, anything, uh, Russell, Allison? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting you bring up, you know, Columbine and, you know, a lot of the other Virginia Tech, for instance. I mean, we're talking about a lot of these people are protesting. One of their big concerns is that their ability to form militias is going to be taken away. And, you know, I mean, the assault rifles, those are part of militias. I mean, whether you talk about whether we really need them or not, that's a part of that institution, and they have a long history in the U.S. of having militias. I mean, as we mentioned, back in our own founding, it was militias who started off, and these are people who I'm not sure if they're attacked for going a couple days after Columbine and uh, you know all these other gun violence-related events. Is mm, That's probably a little off, but their concerns are valid. I mean... But those would come out no matter what, though it, maybe it's an unfortunate coincidence for them that it is highlighted a bit more. But, I mean, that's, that would be the issue. That's the other opposing side of, of being able to create your own militia, which I think is an interesting way of putting it instead of just the right to bear arms. But that's what, it, that's what the Second Amendment does say 
And that's what they are fighting for. So. Anything else? Have we exhausted the topic? Have we ran out of ammo to use a pun that I'm now regretting? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's just let that one sink in for a minute. And I know at least one of our listeners is uh, tweeting us, but I don't think I can share what he tweeted. Uh, if you think you can do better, at W-K-N-C-E-O-T, it's all one word, and join the conversation. I, I think you know who that is there. Passing the laptop around. Uh, one more thing in the news. Um, James Madison University, last weekend, block party, 8,000 people, big ruckus. Uh, Harrisonburg, Virginia police had to get involved. A lot of them weren't from campus, but there were some arrests, I think, in the 30 to 40 range. There was some tear gassing, a lot of property damage. Big deal. So the student newspaper at James Madison University is called The Breeze. And their photographers were able to take a lot of pictures, up to 900 pictures of the goings-on of that block party, which turned into a riot. And what happens? The uh, Harrisonburg District Attorney comes in to the student uh, newspaper newsroom and uh, requests these pictures. And, uh, Russell, do you want to take over from there? Yeah, well, it's actually, it's it's real interesting. The uh, the guys are at the Breeze. They've had a tough year. At the start of their year, this isn't the only... And really- gals at the Breeze. Yeah, girls and gals, the yeah, breeze. Yeah. Uh, I believe the writer in chief uh, would, mm-hmm. would take offense to my uh, guys' comment, but um, you know they've had a real tough year over there because at the start of this year, in fact, I think it was over the summer, they also ran into trouble with the same legal authorities um, when they attempted to have uh, access to a dormitory to do a story, and the campus police kicked them out of that dormitory, saying that it wasn't uh, essentially an open area. They fought it, and it also came up to a uh, story that was reported pretty widely. Um, this particular instance, I mean, the what is it? The uh, Privacy Protection Act specifically protects them from that sort of infringement. I mean, they 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 have to get a signed affidavit. The DA did not have that. I mean, he essentially came in and took these photos without any sort of right um, whatsoever. Now, as of this afternoon, there was a bit of an update to that story where those. Uh the photos were copied onto a CD and have been returned to a third party involved at the university. Uh, an update here from WSLS, uh, a station up in Virginia, uh, where media law experts are coming to the defense of the student newspaper, saying that the Commonwealth's attorney, whose name uh, is Garst, Marsha Garst, uh, overstepped her bounds. They shouldn't have been confiscated in that matter. Uh, they were trying to use the media outlet as an arm of law enforcement. Um, Garst told the station WSLS she's out of state and not commenting at this time. So that's to fill our listeners in. I would not have thought about it that way. I assumed that they just wanted to get rid of any evidence in terms of the police and wrapping things up, but in using it as a means of finding out who was there, uh, that's an interesting uh, point that I had not thought of before. But I guess it makes sense, and like Russell was saying, uh, under the Privacy Protection Act, they cannot do that. So, yeah, Tell us more about the Privacy Protection Act, if you can. Well, I mean, specifically, I mean, it's really a protection for all media and their right to hold, you know, when you interview someone, you want their name to be confidential. The person comes to you in good faith that they're telling you the truth, but that also you're protecting their right to privacy. And that protection is specifically guaranteed by law. It's part of our freedom of the press, people's right to speech. And if you think of photos, I know that we uh, tend to think of newspapers as a public service. And I think in part they are, but they're also a business. And, I mean, if you think about it, you can't. a law enforcement company can't just walk up to a corporation and say, I want these documents from you. So the photos that they took and didn't publish, I think there are 900 of them, they, the law enforcement officers don't have the right to go and take the photos without, you know, an affidavit. So it's it's property of the newspaper and for them to go and, you know, I guess it's an easy target for a student newspaper. But it says uh, the Student Press Law Center, which uh, is kind of an overarching council that protects any uh, campus newspapers from this type of uh, legal action is coming to the defense of them. So, um, yeah, their uh, their director Frank Lamont. He also he's come down to NC State several times and briefed our own student media on what appropriate practices. And he's definitely been the news coming to their defense. And 
of invoking, you know, the uh, Privacy Protection Act and saying that, you know, this is really unethical on the law enforcement part. And I mean, even though you're a student journalist, student newspaper, and this is a student radio station, I mean, it's still the same protections under the law. I mean, conceivably, if we went out to a riot or a rally that was happening and talked to people and interviewed them and had that on a little audio cassette recorder, brought that back here to the station, uh, law enforcement wouldn't be able to come in and say, hey, we want that tape unless they had the proper warrant. Yeah, uh, We could give it to them if we wanted if, to. Yeah, if but, we wanted uh, to. Yeah, they, they don't uh, have the right to just come and take it. That's mm-hmm. uh, our so property. So this, this isn't just an issue unique to newspapers. And for... Um, Anybody just joining us, that's James Madison University. It's a fairly large school up in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And you can read more about that in today's Washington Post. I know the uh, editor there, uh, Katie Thisdell, she's uh, had some interviews on Washington, D.C. television stations. It's getting some exposure, as I think it should. Uh, Any final comments about uh, that issue? Uh, We we, we thought we did. We we squeezed it all out. and just some minor campus news in the one or two minutes we have remaining. I believe we have a publication coming out. You can tell us about Allison. Oh, yes. Um, so my uh, friend and roommate also, Helen Deere, has been working f- this entire year on um, one of state's most, I guess it wins some of the most awards, but is fairly not well known. Um, it's called The Windover. W-I-N-D-H-O-V-E-R, not wind hover. Um, I made that mistake as well, but. You know, that's why I called it the publication. Yes. <laughs> um, you gotta, Fair the play. H is silent, <laughs> strangely. Um, but it is a beautiful publication. Um, not just my opinion, but from the opinion of the people I talked to last night at the, um, Wendover reception. It, um, gathered about 150 people who came to receive the book, um, eat free snacks, read their poetry, and uh, perform songs. So um, you should, if you want, um, the books will be available around campus at NC State. I know it'll be in, there are some in Witherspoon Student Center right now. Um, but it's a collection of work from students, faculty, alumni, um, literary, audio, and visual, and uh, the designers at Wendover, I think there are four of them, including Helen, have been working on it the entire year uh, to gather content, the editors gather content, and then the designers have been designing it, and uh, it's really, for how meticulously they design the book, it's really all about the content, and so it's it's really just a beautiful book in the words of um, the people at the release, and it's something they said they would pay actual money for, but it's free. So, Free. Yeah. Now, is that for everybody or for state students? Or Anyone uh, can come pick up the book. It'll be around campus. You might have to kind of search a little bit, but uh, D.H. Hill. Some of those locations were listed in today's issue of Technician. Yes. It can be found at technicianonline.com, that story, which was actually written by Allison. Yes. Well, that's, that's sort of why I went with that. So I, I guess that's as good of any place to seg out of this, you know, I don't know if we mentioned or, you know, Russell, you're joining us from Technician. I am, yes, indeed. Yes, and so that's why you're able to speak to that newspaper matter. Um, Allison has a dual role there, Technician, and here at, uh, on the Triangle, as I now do. So I'll have a weather column yeah, look coming for, out tomorrow. Look for John's weather column yeah, if you're out interested in uh, North Carolina's history with tornadoes and what our odds are, uh, you'll definitely want to check in for that. William Lampy, as always. Well, An old you. WKNC standby, my buddy, from the evening exchange days last year. Yes, and actually, sir. I believe this next segment coming up, Allison, on Eye on the Triangle is yours, if you want uh, to go yes. ahead and intro it. It is. I actually got a chance to speak to two local uh, designers, both of whom either go or went to NC State and graduated from the design school. Uh, they have started making jewelry, uh, one with a company and one who is starting up her has made her own line and is trying to make it into a business. And so they both give their thoughts on, um, I guess, their inspirations and uh, how to go about that. If you're interested in doing something from scratch, learning it, and then making it into a successful business. So we'll hear that. And after that, we'll hear more about Community Gardens uh, coming up on WKNC. Stay with us. Thank you for listening to our new panel discussion. Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. Your local arts news.
You're listening to Eye on the Triangle. I'm Allison Harmon. This week, I talked to two local jewelry makers, Caitlin Griffin and Elena Bondar, who produce their work in Raleigh but sell to customers all over the world. We're here with Caitlin Griffin, a senior in art and design and also a jewelry maker. Thanks for coming in, Caitlin. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Where do you work in Raleigh? Is it in Raleigh? Yeah, it's in Raleigh. Uh, I work at a store called Silverland Jewelry, and it's located in North Raleigh, uh, down the Falls of Noose Road near Fresh Market. We make a lot with uh, bridal jewelry. They're actually an online company, and they just opened this brick-and-mortar location over the summer. So do you make jewelry there? Yeah, um, I make jewelry there. Uh, we, like I said, we're an online company, so we get a lot of orders online. So I work to fill those and then also make jewelry for the store itself. Do you design it too, or is the design kind of handed to you and you go from there? Uh, for the most part, the design is handed to me. We have uh, specific styles and things that we work from and people buy, but I have had some opportunity to design some things myself, mainly just to put in the store and some of them have actually been bought before while I was there, which is pretty awesome to see people actually like what you make. <laughs> How do you get the inspiration for those pieces? Not, I mean, not really inspiration. It's more just kind of like we do a lot of uh, stringing. We work with Swarovski crystals and pearls and that kind of thing. So most of our work is stringing. But I mean, just kind of playing around with patterns and colors and just what you can really do with the materials you have. And so these are really elegant pieces that they wear on their wedding day? Yeah, uh, we do um, mostly We do mostly with brides, uh, but we also have stuff for bridesmaids. And everything we do is custom, so you can get it in like whatever colors you want. And also in multiples, which is something that, you know, people often use the jewelry for their bridesmaids as like gifts for them, you know, to say thank you for being part of their wedding party. So getting multiples of like the exact same thing can be kind of difficult to do at like a department store like Macy's or something, but we can do that, which is pretty awesome. So this is an everyday jewelry that you're making. Ha has the economy affected sales at all? I feel like the economy, I mean, the economy has had an, an effect on everybody, but for the most part, people still spend money on their wedding day. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, you know, as, especially here in this area, you know, and the triangle, you know, the average wedding is pretty substantial you know the budget is pretty substantial so i feel like for the most part we haven't been affected too much or as badly as most people aren't gonna skimp on their wedding days that's one day that they're gonna go yeah, all out for. I, I think so i mean you've got people spending thousands of dollars on dresses and then it's like you gotta bling it out too with some <laughs> really awesome jewelry so how did you get into the jewelry making business? Is it something that you want to go into once you graduate? <laughs> um, uh, it's actually before working here. I had never done jewelry making before other than like friendship bracelets, you know, in elementary school. Uh, they had placed an ad on Craigslist looking for someone who was interested in making, like, I guess, quote unquote, fashion products. They kind of left it vague. Um, so I answered and it turns out that they were a jewelry company and they started teaching me things, you know, sort of small scale. And then now I can pretty much do everything that we have there. Awesome. Yeah. You were on the board for Art to Wear? Yeah, I was the assistant director and treasurer to wear <laughs> and you've been in art and design for four years right yes so what you've learned and what in your experience has that applied to the jewelry making process oh definitely I think I mean when it comes to design we're sort of taught to have an eye for detail and precision and that kind of thing so I, I mean jewelry making having a knack for that sort of lends itself well to jewelry making and also, I mean, like in the store, any store, you know, merchandising is really important. So having the eye to know like what looks good and what doesn't look good is really important. Okay, so you're an online store. Do you get orders from anywhere else besides Raleigh? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, we, we get orders from all over. We've gotten orders from Canada a lot. Uh, we've had them from Ireland, I think, and maybe Japan. I think Japan. We get them from all over the place, a lot of European countries. So we ship and deal with a lot of international orders too, which is kind of cool because it's like just some small little jewelry store here in Raleigh. <laughs> so there could be a bride in like Spain or Portugal wearing one of your jewelry pieces on her wedding day or one of the ones that you sold. Yeah, 
Wow, yeah. <laughs> that is pretty amazing. <laughs> Thanks again for coming in today. All right, you're welcome. <laughs> so here with us today, we have Elena Bondar, a recent graduate in graphic design at NC State, and she makes jewelry in Raleigh. Thanks for coming in today, Elena. Thanks for having me. No problem. So is this your job? Is this your full-time job making jewelry? No, currently I work full-time as a graphic designer, and I do this in my free time. How much time would you say you devote to this? Is it your your main hobby? It, it's become that way, I think so. I, I work on weeknights when I come home from work sometimes um, on various things like actually making the jewelry or doing design and website maintenance and those kinds of things. And probably maybe about eight hours on the weekend if not more so it's taking up a lot of my free time yeah wow and what do your pieces look like i see you're wearing two of them today and they're really beautiful they're felted and what is your inspiration for making these most of my work is made out of felt which is essentially wool on uh, different kinds of wool can be assembled together using hot soap and hot water and soap and a lot of friction to create a durable fiber essentially and um, my pieces also include a lot of natural fibers like silk i also like to add lace and beadwork as well as recycled vintage fabrics i find at the local flea market and those kinds of materials and how did you get started? Have you been doing this for long? I started in the summer of 2008. I'm, I'm a self-taught textile artist. I just learn on the internet through forums, get inspired by other people's work. And um, I've been doing this since then pretty much through a lot of my free time. Talk about your collection. Okay. Um, um, my brand, I, I spent this winter branding my, my line and it's called Trend Femme. And this spring-summer collection is called Off the Beaten Path, and it's my first comprehensive textile line of felted wearables. And it includes scarves, handbags, rings, bracelets, necklaces, you name it. And it's uh, inspired by urban bohemian fashion. It includes a lot of bold colors, juxtapositions of textures, and it also includes a lot of recycled fabrics like fairly traded sari silk from India, as well as vintage finds that I found at the local flea market. And upcycled. So you're not just a self-taught, this is my hobby thing. This is a legitimate business that you're trying to start with because, I mean, you sound extremely serious about it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I started off as a hobby. I like to make things here and there. I always liked fine arts, but now it's really becoming um, something that I'd like to do full time. And I spend a lot of the, a lot of time trying to come up with new designs and really push the medium and also to promote myself online and um, through local venues and craft shows and those kinds of things. So are you trying to start your own business or are you just trying to get your work sold at businesses in Raleigh? I guess it's a little bit of everything. I'm hoping to sell online through my own website, obviously sell direct to customers. But I also like to participate in local craft shows, which is a direct way of selling to, to people who are in this area. And I also would like to have some of my pieces included in shops. Currently, I have some work, some necklaces and um, bracelets at Revolver Boutique on Glenwood Street. Okay, so where do you see your business in five years? I think in five years, I would definitely like to be selling through my my website as well as through craft shows and also through either wholesale or um, a consignment th to local shops as well as shops online, online or even throughout the country. And I mean, my goal is to be able to support myself and make enough financially to make this a full-time job what is the market you're going for with your jewelry what kind of person buys and wears your jewelry on a regular basis well i think my work is my work tends to be either limited edition or one of a kind and it sort of crosses the line between just uh, jewelry as well as fine art and it, it tends to be contemporary edgy it's a little different than what you'd see in a run-of-the-mill store or a big box store so i think the, the kind of people that tend to wear it are people who would be artsy or who like to stand out and who like kind of different kinds of pieces than what maybe the status quo is at the time. I I think that it tends to be more or less upscale. 
due to the fact that it's created in the U.S. with and each piece takes probably either at least an hour, sometimes upwards to four or five, depending on what it is. Do you think there's a good market for that in Raleigh, or do you see yourself relocating to a larger city? I love Raleigh, and I've I've met a lot of people who've expressed a lot of interest in my work and who've been very helpful and friendly and and wonderful. And I think there's definitely a, a lot of um, artsy folks here who would love um, the jewelry. And I also see a lot of um, customers from the UK and Australia, so I see that it's also kind of interesting to people in um, Europe and in other parts of the world as well. So your work is going to be featured in a book that's coming out in May, right? Yes, I'm very excited. Um, I have several scarves and um, some other pieces featured in 1000 Artisan Textiles, which is due out in May. And um, I was very excited to see my pre-ordered copy. It's a beautiful book and it has a lot of beautiful art from people, artists across the world. And besides, uh, I guess, finding you in that book, where else can people find you in person or online or both? Well, I have an Etsy shop. Um, it's called Trend Femme. Uh, and that's trend with an E, T R E N D E F E M M E, and um, I'll I will also be launching my own website um, probably towards the end of May. Currently, if you'd like to shop the collection locally, you can either visit Revolver Boutique anytime, or you can catch me at the Spring Days Arts and Craft Festival this Saturday, April twenty fourth. So, what goes into running an online shop? I think the biggest part of running an online shop is the photography because people can't really touch the product or try it on so they are really dependent on the photos and I take uh, I think a lot of my time in terms of apart from creating the pieces and promoting the shop itself goes into the photography as well as uh, putting together really good descriptions of the product which is very different than when you go to a craft show and people can really just speak to you in person. You have to really try to anticipate what kind of questions they would have, questions about dimensions, care for the product, etc. I also spend time packaging the products and, and designing um, attractive packaging that kind of represents the brand as well as just mailing them out and um, making sure I answer everybody's questions and thank my customers for their purchases. And So you're not just a jewelry maker you're a photographer and a web designer a uh, ups guy that is that's pretty impressive i guess what would you tell people who like you have just browsed shops and said i want to do this and who get so into it that they want to go into business i think you should definitely go for it it's uh it's a lot of fun and it's it's wonderful to see other people become interested in your work and i've enjoyed every minute of it but you do get to wear a lot of different hats uh, apart from just the crafting and the selling there's also the accounting and the not so fun some things that as crafty people don't find very interesting. So there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. It's a lot more work than I thought at the beginning um, would be required. But I've met a lot of local artists who are very successful and who love what they do. And I think I'm going to love it too if I do this full time. Yeah, Raleigh seems like the perfect place for that, for what you're, what you're saying. Absolutely. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you. <laughs> this is Allison Harmon for Eye on the Triangle. And you're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. It's time for our Wolf Pack of the Week segment. We're doing it a little bit different this week, though, to keep in theme with everything else going on the show. Uh, we have Lauren and Katie and Chaffee, and uh, they're here to talk about the Soul Gardens going on campus. So uh, what, what are the campus Soul Gardens? Well, thanks for having us. Um, the Soul Garden is and it stands for Students for Organic United Living, and it's an on-campus organic community garden that we want to have next year. Yeah, our vision is a small-scale garden built and maintained by students that serves as a focal point for uniting the campus as one community. Where, where, where will the garden be located? Well, that's our biggest issue right now. We're trying to find it a home on campus somewhere um, that's centrally located for visibility and accessibility, but we're having difficulty right now securing a location. Um, we hope maybe to put on Centennial because there's lots of land out there and there's lots of um, really good places that would create the kind of feel we want for our garden. So in between the corporate um, golf course and the giant alumni center. Yeah, perhaps. somewhere over there. <laughs> That's right, Jacob. We've had a lot of issues uh, finding a location, and we've uh, narrowed it down to a couple that we really like. And hopefully, if the stars align and the garden gods are kind, we will be able to secure that spot soon. 
What what kind of um, steps are you are you taking right now to secure that spot? Uh, who do you have to speak with predominantly? Well, we um, did a presentation to the board of trustees for student activities, and they pretty much gave us the go ahead for the garden. So that was good because in the past they had issues with um, the idea behind it. Um, but right now we are in the process of working with facilities and the landscape architect, and it's basically through them who can approve the spot. What's the genesis of this project? Like, where did, where did it start? Um, well, it actually kind of stemmed from the Wolfpack Environmental Student Association. There was the Think Outside the Brick competition through the student or through the um, Student Government Sustainability Commission, and uh, the club entered that with the. So, or the student garden idea and it won and got a $1,000 grant towards it. So, And um, with the grant, was there any stipulation on what you have to grow? Will it be more aesthetically pleasing things or will it actually be producing food that students can enjoy? Well, the goal is to have uh, it producing food that everyone can enjoy, community dinners, maybe even partner up with the farmer's market and sell it. And uh, the would that be the campus farmer's market mm-hmm. that meets on yes. Wednesdays or the state farmer's market? The campus farmer's market. Right. Well, we want what the vision is, is that this is something that will have students rallying around it to kind of create an atmosphere where everyone is uh, a part of it and everyone feels like they have some ownership of it. So selling things at the farmer's market just goes a step further uh, with our visibility and things like that. All right. Well, uh, meals aside, convince me really quickly um, Mm -hmm. that gardening brings the campus community together. Have you ever gardened, Jacob? I I have, indeed. (laughs) You have, Jacob? Yes. Well, a garden requires a lot of work, and a lot of love goes into planting things and keeping them watered and well-growing. And the most important thing that you have to remember with this is that you cannot do it alone. A garden is all about teamwork, and a garden is all about working together. And building the garden itself will take a lot of work and will take a lot of synergy from all of the people that... Um, are excited about it and so we want to include as many people as possible and we want to make it a community garden that is shared and everybody has a part ownership of it all right you convinced me what's the best way to get involved um well you can join our facebook group um that's a great way to stay informed can you tell us what that face group is i think it's soul gardened um but it should be like in the nc state network easy to find um, and we have a web or an email address and a website soon, so you can just email us at soulgarden at gmail dot com. And uh, That's we S O U L by the way. <laughs> we can send out updates about that. And have you drawn any inspiration from any existing garden projects? Sorry, what was the question? Have you drawn any inspiration from any existing garden projects? Yeah, we've looked at existing models. Um, UNC has a great one, which means we need to get on the ball and have one too. But um, theirs is geared more towards homeless outreach, um, and ours would be slightly different than that. And Meredith has one too, and I think Duke does, so yeah. we, we need to get ahead. And so we're, we and, need to show that we are the Aggies. And <laughs> the great thing about State is we have so many disciplines that can be incorporated into this, and that's a really inspiring thing. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, for more on this story, uh, you can uh, keep updated at uh, wknc.org slash EOT. Uh, any questions about this story or any others, send us an email, publicaffairs at wknc.org. This has been another edition of Eye on the Triangle here on 88.1 WKNC Raleigh. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time, week. Jacob. Yeah, thanks. My pleasure.